let's jump into teaching time this morning. Again, a big thank you to everyone serving here today. I'm going to invite the volunteer team to applaud themselves and one another. So thank you, team, both. Yay, yay, yay. So staff and our volunteer team leaders, everybody serving, making this happen, and home church leaders and everything else during the week as well. Um, This morning, we're continuing on with the Peace With Others series. The series we're doing this year are all around the big theme of discipleship, a discipleship track that we hope that the church then can launch going forward where we offer these as courses that go parallel to home church and to Sunday mornings where you can dive in and learn some really key components of the Christian faith. We spent the first few months going through Bruxy Cavey's book, End of Religion. We didn't do all of it. But we see that as sort of a course that can be developed, and they're actually working on questions and course to be used in the fall, and we want to see that become part of that discipleship track. The second component is peace with others that we've been in some months, and we took, well, yeah, a few months here in the spring, we took a break around Easter and with guests, and we do have guests coming in the end of May as well, both in-house and outside of Pilgrim. Um, But we're going through this series, and this is based on a couple things. One is The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, which I've talked about before. I encourage you to get this book if you want to do a deeper dive. Great stuff. Resolving Everyday Conflict. In fact, if you want one of these, I still have some extras. Some of you are in home church, and I have not yet got yours delivered to you. But please let us know. We'll make sure we get one to you. Uh, This actually has an outline of most of what we're covering on Sunday morning, and then group discussion questions, and then four days of devotion where you can go deeper as an individual as well for each of the eight sessions. And we're going to go into session four today. And again, we're moving slowly through it, so you have time to catch up or jump in. It's, it's fine. We want you to start wherever you can with it. So this morning, we're going to go into what's called the second G. Uh, last Sunday, Andreas gave us the message about glorifying God, about these four Gs uh, in conflict that we need to know as part of everyday peacemaking. And in that glorifying God message, that idea of how can we change our focus to the larger picture in acting and living in such a way that we want to see the goodness of God displayed in others. Or Irenaeus said the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And so beginning to understand that flourishing is, is rooting in our peacemaking practices as a root for peacemaking practices as individuals, especially those of us that are following Jesus, that that should be a core piece of what it means to be a peacemaker. Today, we're going to build on that and talk about the second G in peacemaking, what we learn from the log in our eye, what we learn from the log in our eye, or getting the log or getting the plank out of your eye. Makes me reminded of a a 90s, early 2000s Christian band uh, called Plank Eye. So anyway... um, I'm going to read to you from Matthew this morning from the gospel. Those of you in the room, if, I'm worried that you're going to fall asleep, so would you stand with me during the reading of the gospel? It is the Eastern Orthodox Christian Easter today as well, so I want to say Christos Anesti, uh, and uh, yeah, Alithos Anesti to everybody in the Eastern Church celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but we're going to read from the gospel. This is Matthew 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and this is from the Sermon on the Mount which as sort of a neo-anabaptistish, Jesus-y kind of guy, the Sermon on the Mount is sort of the peak of the peak of biblical interpretation. The New Testament tells us in many places that we are to read the Bible through the life of Jesus, and that's what they're unpacking in the epistles and all the occasional letters of Paul. And so the Gospels play a preeminent role in how we understand God, who God is, and how we read the rest of the Bible. And if there were to be a peak within the Gospels, it would be the Sermon on the Mount, one of the largest teaching, the largest teaching, single teaching sections put together by the Gospel biographers of Jesus' teaching. So we are here, a Sermon on the Mount, 
towards the end of it in verse, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to dig in that today. So hear the gospel of the Lord today. Wisdom, let us be attentive. Here we go from Jesus. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be the measure you receive. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own, the log or the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye? Well, there's a beam in your own eye. You first, he says, you hypocrite, loving words from our Lord Jesus, you hypocrite, first remove the beam from your eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you today that we can wrestle with these peacemaking teachings. And everything in our cultures tells us the exact opposite of what we just read here. And we are more formed by the cultures around us, even those of us that claim you, Lord Jesus, most of our lives than we are by your words and teaching. And so, God, if we're going to use the word Christian or Jesus follower, help us to immerse ourselves in your teaching today that we might experience your freedom and your love in our lives and help break the cycles, the vicious cycles that our world wants to get us doubling down on all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated if you're in the room this morning. So this morning we want to talk a little more about the second G in personal peacemaking or peacemaking peace with others today. Peace with others today. Getting the log out of our eye is sort of the big idea, and this is the key is to learn to judge correctly and understanding our capacity for self-deception when we're dealing with conflict. Our capacity to deceive ourselves about our role in a conflict is high. We never see the whole picture, but God does see the whole picture. And so the question we have is, will we enter into the tunnel of chaos with ourselves and with others in conflict to come through to new breakthroughs in depth? Another way to summarize what we want to talk about today is, how can I show Jesus' work in me? How can I show Jesus is working in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to the conflict? And I think this is one of the biggest things we see in our cultures at large around the world is that we do the reverse. We want to minimize our role in conflict and maximize the other's role so we can reduce their humanity, we can weaponize justice, and ultimately we feel like we're having a breakthrough, but in fact we're creating new cycles of retributive violence and justice against other human beings created in the image and likeness of God. And so Christianity has some outrageous claims about identity. Our core identity is as beloved brothers and sisters, children of God, we are family together. And this breaks down a lot of identity claims that we're told to weaponize. And some of that stuff is important to get new breakthroughs. But at the end of the day, Christians land in a very different place about what is core, what is at the center. And those personal peacemaking teachings break us out of that. Let me tell you a story uh, from an Western uh, sayings of the Desert Fathers from Western asceticism. This story goes like this. It's not easy to live in community. It's full of sinful people who do all sorts of things that disturb us. But there's an old story from a 4th century Egyptian monk. And he says this, a monk told his monastic leader, Poeman, I'm troubled in spirit and I want to leave this place. 
And the old man said to the other monk, well, why? He says, I've heard unedifying stories about one of the brother monks. And the old man said, are these stories true? He said, yes, father, the brother who told me is a man of trust. And the old man answered, and he said this, the brother who told you is not a man of trust. For if he was so, he would not have told you those stories. When God heard the cry of the men of Sodom, he did not believe it until God himself had gone down and observed with his own eyes, the old monk said. And the brother said, well, I've seen it with my own eyes. And when the old man heard this, he looked down and picked off the ground a wisp of straw, and he said, what is this? The young monk answered, straw. And the old man reached up and touched the roof of the cell and said, what is this? And he said, it's the beam that holds up the room. And the old man said this, take it into your heart that your sins are like this beam and that your brother's sins are like this wisp of straw. Take that into your hearts. Thomas Akimis said this, be not angry that you cannot make others as you want them to be since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be as well. So let's review the four G's, talk about this teaching, and then give some practical applications. By the way, this is two parts. Next Sunday, we're going to get into confession and giving a true apology. Some of my favorite stuff, a confession and true apology, because most of us never confess, and most of us never give true apologies. And we'll talk about what is a fake apology, what is a real apology, and it will hurt. It will hurt me as well, but it will be a good kind of pain, like going to the gym versus the bad kind of pain of like violence and getting stabbed. So we want the good pain. Amen? All right. So the four G's, glorify God, as Andreas gave us last Sunday. If you didn't, weren't here, go back and listen to that. Based off of 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And ask the question, how can I please and honor God in this situation? And we gave it a little bit of a neo-anabaptist-y ancient church twist by saying, remember the glory of God is human beings fully alive. And that's super important so it doesn't become some abstract, weird concept where you're glorifying God but hating your neighbor, which that happens, unfortunately, in the name of Jesus. We don't want that kind of glorifying God. The second thing today is to get the log out of your eye. How can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to conflict? This is the second big step. Before we ever get to apologies and forgiveness and reconciliation, we've got to get these first two down. Then we'll get into gently restore, and then we'll get into go and be reconciled. And note that in here we'll talk about forgiveness next Sunday a little bit more, but we're not at even forgiveness yet. We're not even at reconciliation yet. If we want to steward conflicts well, we need to get an education about how to deal with it that's rooted in Jesus. And so that's what we're doing and so important for Christian discipleship. Otherwise, we keep defaulting to either the conservative fundamentalist or the uncritical woke theories in our lives. And and when Jesus is showing us a third way forward, and we can learn from both of those, but we need to know there's something unique that Jesus contributes and empowers in the world that will outlast all of them. So this morning, the center of the center, the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 2, Jesus gives a, what we'll call a traditional Torah righteousness. Now, as we talk about this passage just a little bit before we get into application, I want to lay this out for you. Within the Sermon on the Mount, there are at least 14 triads, 14 groups of three things that are going on. And this is a wonderful teaching from a book called Kingdom Ethics uh, by Stassen and Gushy that's been used uh, around the world. It's been a new editions out as well. And I love this book. It's a great book about learning different ethical theories and then particularly zooming in on the Sermon on the Mount and Christian ethics and application. And in there, they identify at least 14 teachings of Jesus within the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus does something 
something really unique and radical, something that eventually gets him crucified, at least part of the reason. He takes something from the law, the Torah of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and he states it. And then he gives something, uh, reveals a, a vicious cycle, a cycle of justice becoming weaponized and over and over again, or sinfulness doubling down on itself, a vicious cycle. And then the third part of the triad is he gives a transforming action or initiative we can do to break out of the patterns that keep us bound into sin or bound under the law or bound under kingdom of the world ways of being. And so you have this Traditional righteousness, vicious cycle, transforming initiative. And that's what's happening here with this idea about offense that he is giving to us. So first of all, the traditional Torah righteousness, don't judge so you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt out to you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So be careful when you judge. Traditional righteousness, he states. But then he, in verse 3 and 4, he begins to shift it. And he says, why do you see the splinter in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own. How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out when there's a log in your eye? Something's happening here. He's naming a vicious cycle of judgment going around and around when we ignore. And then he says this, the transforming initiative to breakthrough. This is what you do to change the cycle from an eye to an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Oppress, become oppressor, become oppressed, become oppressor. We're going to go around and around and around and around. The privilege, the non-privilege, all over. How do we break out of that into something we actually want to live in as humans and a new humanity? And he said this, you deceive yourself. You're a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. By the way, the same thing is repeated in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 42. And he talks specifically in Luke about this idea of forgiving and releasing people from our judgment. So, what is this transforming initiative doing? He's saying that in order to properly approach conflict, particularly, and I think it applies universally, but particularly for those of us that are being touched by Jesus' life and by the Holy Spirit, is that we begin these conversations by asking, what is my part in the conflict? I begin by seeing my part first. I begin by seeing my part of the conflict as a log, as a plank. Now, our world doesn't teach us that. Our world usually teaches us the opposite. We are told, especially in the case where more than 50% of the problem is on them, or maybe it's 99% of the problems, and we don't ever start there. And we're talking about most conflicts. There are caveats to some of this that I'll get into uh, next Sunday, but this is like most 99% of our conflicts. We're taught just the opposite. Magnify what they've done. Minimize what they've done. And I've talked about this before. If they are 70% of the problem and I'm 30% of the problem, 70 minus 30, and we say there, well, then they're 100% part of it because they're, you know, all of it. They, they won the election of who made the most problem, part of this problem, who made the biggest part of this problem happen. But Jesus is just the opposite. That in the kingdom of God, we submit to one another. Paul says, submit to one another uh, out of love. And, and, and here he's saying that in conflict, we are to start by magnifying our contribution to the conflict. That's transformative. And I can hear all the but, 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 buts going on. Only a few of those buts count. Most of them are just excuses. Jesus tells us to engage first with our part. Again, Athanasius, you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. We talked about James, this wonderful key verse for the whole series, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
If you want a different reward, start applying this kingdom ethic of Jesus. See your sins, your offenses as greater than the others when you begin to have those conversations about real offense and brokenness. That posture changes the dynamic. It creates space for us to engage in humility with one another. And it can be hard because we are trained so hard in the art of denial, whether it's through shame, whether it's through guilt, we have trained ourselves to deny that, press it down, and here Jesus is saying, no, start, start leading out with that. Take that risk. So what is the log removal process? Everyone wants to know. Are you still awake in the room? Somebody say yes or amen or something. Just acknowledge that you have a pulse and you're, okay, all right, all right. They're all looking at each other like, what do we say? No. <laughs> so let's talk about some of these things. There's three big ideas on log removal process uh, that we're taking from Peacemaker Ministries. Number one, and, and we talked about this before, this is a bit of a review, is, is this actually worth fighting over? The first thing we ask in our self-analysis, magnifying our sins, is, is this even worth fighting over? This question is key, especially when you're angry or when you're avoiding others. We don't get angry here in Canada. I, I'm still learning that as an immigrant here. We avoid and we, we cold shoulder here in Canada. These are not people that the rest of North America is more engaged. Canada, we, this, it's the passive side of that, that peace faking thing, right? Over, we overdo it on peace faking. But there are some things we can ask and say, is there an idol in my life that's being brought up by their behavior that's actually not even it's so much about them, but mainly about me, and so I need to not engage with them on this. I need to do some heart work in myself. So the first thing about this self-analysis, this log, is what is going on in my heart? As a pastor, I have experienced the wrath and the upsetness and the cold shouldering of people about things that actually had nothing to do with me. I just happen to be a convenient target because I work in a church and I do other stuff as well, but uh, they, they, they want to magnify that. And, and so oftentimes I have to remind myself if I'm experiencing hurt and pain because of that in my heart or my emotions and say, okay, is there anything of me in this that I can own and change? Or is it something that's entirely stuff they're working through? And so sometimes in my own mind, I say I have to overlook it because whatever Brother Bob is going through, I don't think there's anyone in our church named Brother Bob that I'm aware of. Um, so uh, whatever Brother Bob is going through, it's something in his heart that he needs to get to a point of dealing with. And is it my role to say anything or not? Then I have to determine that. Do I overlook the offense in that time? Is it worth fighting over? We can avoid some conflicts by asking this up front. Now, if you've gone past that point and there is an idol definitely in your heart, we'll talk a little more about this idol stuff again by way of review here this morning. Um, when someone fails to satisfy our demands and expectations and we begin to punish them and judge them, then we need to go deeper because we're not overlooking anymore. If we're, if we're icing them, if we're doing behaviors that don't indicate we can overlook, then we need to engage in that conflict and say, how can we go to the next place? Um, the other thing about overlooking conflict is, again, if, you ha if it hasn't created a real wall between you and the other person, then you can overlook. If it's creating a wall, you're not overlooking. So don't pretend you are. You're going to need to engage in peacemaking. The second thing is the offense should not be causing serious harm to God's reputation, to others, to the offender. Um, obviously, you can't overlook if someone is being wounded and hurt. Like that, again, then you're entering into a different kind of brokenness or sin uh, by ignoring something that needs some of the Jesus justice to be applied in conflict resolution. So the second thing we want to talk about in terms of the log in your eye, the first is, can I overlook? Uh, where am I at with this? Has an idol been created? We'll unpack that more. The second thing is examine your role in the conflict. Examine your role in the conflict. Examine your role in the conflict instead of 
obsessing about their role in the conflict. The passage that uh, Jesus gives us here doesn't forbid loving correction, but premature and improper correction. I think many of us have never seen loving correction in action because it's very rare in our world and even in the church. How often in our culture is this practiced, loving correction of someone? I know it's not much a part of the popular cultures I come from. We tend to be adversarial or avoidant. We tend to let the amygdala drive us in this instead of learning better responses. Even in so-called peace churches, I've got family and background within Mennonite land as well on one side of my family. And even in so-called peace churches, the activists act sometimes like the devil, like there's nothing peaceful about them. They're blowing up stuff all the time. And, 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 and it's easy for peace church people, I know I'm talking to a minority of you here, but just hang with me for a second. It's super easy for peace church people to talk about those conflicts over there, geopolitical struggles and governments doing this, that, or the other thing, and then act like a war zone in their local church or in their neighborhood. It should not be that way. If peacemaking doesn't start at home, don't sit there and lecture the rest of the world about this or that conflict. It's got to be both and, not either or. And so I've had that experience in, in minnow land sometimes where people will just, boy, you want to get a good fight? Join a peace church. Holy cow, you know. Um, someday I'll talk about the Mennonite sex wars when I'm fully healed. I'm not there yet. So and that was kind of funny, but maybe just to me. Okay, I'm laughing. <laughs> All right. So before we have the right to talk about others' faults, we need to own up to our own, examine our role in the conflict. When I'm mad and unable to overlook, it's my duty to confess to God and to that brother or sister that I've been avoiding. I've been cold to you. Even if you know in your mind and any objective person outside the conflict would say, yes, they're 80% of the problem here or 90%, we need to own our part in the conflict if we want to break the cycle and get into a new way of being human. So two types of faults, again, you may have to come to grips with with your role. Are you being overly sensitive? I've shared this story before, but it's funny, and it makes me laugh. There's a story of a man that went into a doctor with this cute, he was very anxious, and the doctor said, or he said to the doctor, you have to help me, I'm dying. Everywhere I touch, it hurts. Everything hurts. Everything hurts, I'm dying. Leg day. I touch my head, and it hurts. I touch my legs, and it hurts. I touch my stomach, and it hurts. I touch my chest, and it hurts. You have to help me, doc. Everything hurts. The doctor gave him a complete examination, and he said, Mr. Smith, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're not dying. The bad news is you have a broken finger. That was, that was gold. That was just gold. I got to work on my timing. I know I'm, I'm too, too, yeah, wordy, but do we have an overly sensitive attitude? Do we have a broken finger versus something systemic? We need to ask that question. What's my role in this conflict? Have I been overly sensitive? I would like to say that I'm never overly sensitive, that I am a type A alpha, but I'm not. I'm, I work in church land. I love people. Uh, I probably have tendencies here and there, but I can be overly sensitive. If you know me and you're doing life together with me, particularly my home church mates and other people on teams, you'll know that occasionally there's stuff that triggers sensitivities in me. And if you're honest, you have them too. And sometimes we need to ask that question, am I being overly sensitive about this? Is it something I can release? And again, you know if you're overly sensitive, you're going to have to work through that in different ways. Otherwise, you'll begin to do patterns of judgment, distancing, fight, or flight. And you need to then ask those deeper questions as well. The second thing in terms of conflict we need to ask, do I, have I contributed through my own sinful behavior? And I've got to spend a little time with this before I land this plane. You may have contributed to the conflict through your own sinful behavior. 
Often we're blind to our own faults. We are ignoring the log in our eye entirely, or the speck, all of it, and we're not willing to own it. How do we begin to ask if I've contributed to the conflict? What's going on? It's defining the issues in conflict. So I just want to spend a second on this. This is a little deeper teaching, but it's good stuff. One of the things we need to do in examining our role is actually clarify the issues if you're in conflict with someone right now. Define the issues, and there's two kinds of issues, material issues and personal issues. Material issues in conflict are those that involve stuff like property, money, rights, and responsibilities. I believe this is in the outline, but maybe not. Uh, material issues, stuff around uh, property, money, rights, and responsibilities. For example, how are we going to spend this money that we got from our tax return? Or how much does this person owe that person? Or how do we sell this property? Was it right for when to fire Peter? Um, did Paul breach a contract? These kinds of questions, I'm trying to use the generic names here, no offense to anyone who, named, who happens to align with these. We'll be focusing on these again a little more when we talk about reconciliation in the fourth G, but we need his name. What are the material issues? What are the material issues in the conflict? The second thing, when we want to ask contributions to conflict is what are the personal issues? What's going on inside or between people that involve attitudes and feelings? We need to, again, magnify ours. Am I upset about someone lying to me? Or is their stubbornness uh, unresponsible? I don't like the way this person always criticizes me. I think this person is trying to cheat me. Like, we need to name those kinds of things as well. What are the personal issues? What are the material issues? And can they be overlooked? Or, does, or do we need to take the next step of naming them together, confession, loving correction, and forgiveness? Now, again, in most conflicts, both of these are tied together, aren't they? These material and personal issues get tangled up. Jesus tells a story in Luke 12 about this, a family inheritance issue doesn't get any more personal material than the stuff of a family and dividing it after the elder generation goes on, right? To their uh, eternal reward, hopefully. Personal and material. So when there are both issues... You usually can't deal with the material until first you start with the personal issues. I feel like you're doing this. This is how you're treating me, naming these things. The other thing is, when you want to uh, unpack a conflict, you've got to stop dragging in more issues. Have you ever been in this kind of fight situation? And I will say that my wife and I have never done this, ever. This has never happened. Where We may have a debate about, well, let's say driving, for example. That's an easy, safe one, right? And so, uh, so I'll be like, honey, you almost ran that stop sign. And then if we're not on our best Jesus-y behavior, which we're not all the time because we're sinners in process too, just like the rest of you sinners needing Jesus, uh, sometimes it'll just, well, all of your driving is like X. Like that would be an extreme escalation, right? Driving and bringing in other points or like, well, if we never got this car or if we never did this and before you know what happened to a concern that should have been expressed in a different place, we used that illustration early on about the old man and his wife uh, in the driving situation, all of a sudden snowballs and every possible issue around the car and driving comes up and maybe even beyond. If you're a follower of Jesus, you gotta learn to breathe in that moment, breathe Jesus in and stop dragging in more issues, sort through the issues that are already surfaced and try to agree on the main material issues and the main personal issues. And uh, again, the stop sign only goes so far, but in other conflict situations. Ken Sandy gives an example of coming home after traveling in business, sick of restaurants. He comes home, and yet his wife, Corlette, 
She often feels sort of taken for granted. He gives this scenario of coming back home and wanting just to eat at home with her, and yet she's feeling neglected because he just got home from all these trips, and she wants to go out and have a date night where she's not cooking, and they're just enjoying one another's presence. The secondary, the primary issues is this sense of Ken is sick of restaurants, and Corlette wants to go out and spend some time where she's not involved with the, the food preparation. The secondary issues, Corlette, that going on in Ken's mind is Corlette neglecting our budget. Did Ken really need the new computer? Should Ken learn to cook? You know, you can see how are you going to deal with the primary thing, or are you going to just let this snowball into every area of life? You really do need to separate, divide, and conquer in these times of conflict. So... When big personal material issues go, then we need to take steps that we'll talk more about in the next few weeks as well. But in many cases, we can overlook things and decide some of this isn't worth fighting over. Let's figure out what we do need to engage with. All right, I need to land this. And all God's people said amen. I spent more time unpacking um, the rest of it about idols and how idols and our heart causes us to not want to magnify our sins. And I think that's something just to spend a second on is we have to get to the heart of conflict, the why behind what we're doing and why we're acting the way we are. And so often our cultures teach us to avoid the why question. We want to skitter here and, and skitter over here but avoid the why questions, but Jesus calls us into deeper life where we wrestle with the why questions. Why are we acting the way we are? In James 4 verses 1 through 2, we talked about this some weeks ago, there is this progression of an idol that we have desires that can be good and healthy but can go wrong. And then an idol can be formed where we're trying to suck our life out of that thing other than receiving the gift of life through Jesus. And so in James 4 verses 1 through 2, I desire something. But if it's not met, then I demand it. Justice demands it, my needs. And now this thing that I view as a desire is absolutely essential. And now we're talking about 99% of things here. There are some things that I think we can bracket off. So that I desire, I demand, I'm disappointed, I'm disappointed, you didn't do X. And then I judge, I condemn, I reject, I ice, and then I punish. Do you have an idol in your heart? Are you punishing someone here this morning? Are you hurt or angry? Are you striking back? Are you giving the cold shoulder? Children pout and stomp and shoot dirty looks. Can result things like physical violence, abuse to punish and control. Punishment can take many forms, icing people out of our lives, withdrawing. Are we trying to send subtle, unpleasant cues to someone because there's an idol in our heart? We deal with these things if we want to move into confession, forgiveness, apology, forgiveness, and reconciliation. We have to ask, what's going on in my heart? Why am I acting this way? So let me land by just giving you a summary of some core things here. The fourth thing is we also have to name our attitudes, check them, and change them. We need to learn to respond differently. And there's a whole list there, and I'll pick up with that next Sunday and also talk about what about rights. When should we exercise our rights and when should we lay our rights down? Christians believe that there's a time for both. And this is what makes us different than sort of the fundamentalist view of justice and the woke view of justice is that we actually say something like there's a time to lay one's rights down because it will break a cycle and result in a greater, lasting, restorative justice. So we'll dig into that more next Sunday. But that fourth thing is checking our attitudes and changing it. So, this morning... Have you learned the practice of magnifying 
your offenses and your sins and making them greater than the other one. If you're in a marriage or you're in a friendship, you're in a Christian community, even in community with others, have you worked through that practice? I like how there's a list that Ken Sandy gives, and I'll email this out this week, Monday, with my Monday morning pastoral email. But he says, if you're presently involved in a conflict, define the material issues first. Define the personal issues. Which personal issues are having the greatest influence on you or the opponent in this conflict? What has the other person done to offend you? The next step by way of summary is check your attitude, and we spent a lot of time on that this morning. What can we rejoice in God about? How can we be gentle? How can we respond differently than our default setting that has been given to us? What effect will this dispute have on us? And consider all the ways the dispute right now is affecting your witness, your family life, your job, your finances, your friendships, your relationship with God and others. Consider your rights. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. And then ask, which offenses, by magnifying the log in my eye, can I simply overlook? And how can that glorify God? And which offenses can't I overlook and need to define and begin to work through the tunnel of chaos with this person? Which material issues in a conflict can I simply give in on, and which material issues need to be worked through? And I want to challenge you to begin this second G in every conflict that you face this week, and there'll be little ones and big ones. When my wife, my scenario of the wife and the stop sign, I could have magnified my own issues and, and, and minimized her in that. I could have magnified it by saying, yeah, I've had my driving moments as well with her in the car. She's still alive. <laughs> and then I begin to, to minimize and say, but she's good at this. And she's good at this and, and making our home what it is and, and her design skills. And she's good at bringing joy into these kinds of situations. And if I did that exercise in my mind and slowed down enough in that moment of whatever, it begins to change how I would approach a conversation that may need to be had if she's regularly going through stop signs. She's not, you're safe, Vancouver, but, well... <laughs> Let me rephrase that, at least from one driver most of the time. Uh, and then it would have changed how I approached that conversation. So the second G is deal with the log in your eye first. Magnify your sins. See your sins as if they're almost 100% of the problem, even if they're not, before you engage in the next steps of conflict. Let's pray. And we're going to take communion this morning as well. So I'm going to invite the, the, who's ever coming up for worship team as well to come up. Lord, thank you for this teaching today. And God, I know that for many here, what we're talking through uh, may be new stuff. And so, God, thank you that we can unpack it again at home church this week, go through an outline again, and then ask some questions around conflict and getting the log out of our eye and dealing with our idols, dealing with our offensives, dealing with where are we at in this conflict first before uh, we go farther or farther down a path that might lead to less peace and more brokenness. And so Holy Spirit, guide us into this teaching, this transformative initiative from the Sermon on the Mount. You hypocrite, you fool, first start with yourself, then, then begin to engage with the other. So Lord, we offer this up to you today. We offer this series, the discipleship series to you today as well. We want to be people who seek to be peacemakers in practical ways, in Jesus' name.